So I don't know how many of you have noticed, I know a few have, but I rarely use gendered language for God. That language is a concession to our own human understanding, and it is not always reflective of really who God is. One of the things that um, one of the things that always struck me about the language we use for God is it is something that is really, we, we use a language that makes sense to us. You know, how do you talk about God without talking about God as an individual you relate to in one form or another? Well, traditionally, we've used he language for God. So a lot of people have grown up with an image of God as male, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a bit. One of the results of that is that there are churches, as we all know, where I would not be allowed to preach because they don't ordain women. They don't recognize that God calls women to leadership. And there's a few of those churches, their specific reason is, is that the priest or the pastor represents God. And so men are more in the image of God than women, and yes, it does have to do with body parts. And that's just the reality, because that's the language that has been steeped into us for thousands of years. Sometimes we use the word Lord for God. Well, the word Lord means king or master or husband. It's all also very male words, very male-oriented words. Uh, when you see it in your Bible, though, have any of you noticed that the word Lord is typically small caps, capital L, and then small caps for the rest? Anybody know what, that, what that's about? No. It took me a while to even notice that myself. Whenever you see it with the small caps, the word in the actual Hebrew is not Lord. It's the four consonants that represent the name of God. And in Hebraic tradition, you do not say the name of God out loud or write it. So very, very early on, translators and editors made a concession to our human tradition, and so they do not write the name of God in Scripture. And so wherever you see Lord with the small caps, know that the word behind that is the actual name of God. I guess actual is kind of a real strange word to use for that. And the closest um, definition we have for that name of God is I am who I am or I will be who I will be. So when you see that in Scripture, that's what's being used there. I don't like to use Lord for God to replace the, um, the language of, of he and his in there because most of us hear Lord as more that, that you know, the, the husband, the master, the, the, the ruler over an area, and that's not really what it is in most of those cases. So, in our reading from Psalm 95 that we're about to read, you will notice that I actually left the male pronouns in, which is unusual for me. A few reasons. Number one, sometimes there's just so many of them, it's just convoluted to try to replace them all. So, practical reasons there. But I also put it in and want to draw your attention to it because I want you to take the bulletin home with you, and I want you to reread that psalm using she pronouns instead of he, and using they pronouns instead of he. And just see, not just how does it feel, because it might feel odd to you, but how does that maybe inform your understanding of who God is or your image of God? So, with that introduction, let's go ahead and read Psalm 95 responsively. 
O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains also are his. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. So Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, said, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, and then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So I want you all to now think back to when you were a child. What was your image of God? What was the image of God you grew up with, and is it still working for you? I asked that question on Facebook and a number of groups and on my own page, and I don't think any post I've ever put up has got as many responses as that one. The question was prompted by the fact that if any of you keep up with the liturgical calendar, today is actually Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday was instituted by Pope Pius XI in 1925, so it's not that old, to remind Christians that their allegiance was to their spiritual ruler in heaven and not to earthly rulers or nations, which was claimed by Benito Mussolini. We don't often think of the feast days of our church as having political, uh, as being political statements, but this one doesn't even pretend not to be. Pope Pius XI drew on the rich biblical imagery of God as king over all creation and over all of humanity, and that rich biblical imagery of Jesus being lifted up to the throne and seated at the right hand of power. I usually avoid preaching on Christ the King, or about Christ the King, I guess I should say, because the image simply doesn't work for me. I don't see Christ as a ruler anything like the rulers of our nations. I don't understand the kingdom of God as a geopolitical realm that rivals the nations of the world. And yet that language of king and kingdom are deep-seated in our faith tradition. The image that we probably use more often is that of God or Jesus as the good shepherd who loves us, who searches for us, who cares for us, and who protects us. But in a way, we, there's the same problem with shepherd as there is with king. We have made God into our own image. We may have given God the very best of all human characteristics, but we still have a God who looks like us, who talks like us, who feels like us, who acts like us. I'll bet without all of the moral failings that we have to deal with. But we have a God who wrestles with the same kind of human emotions that we do and acts very much like a human being. And part of that's because 
that's how we know how to relate to another entity. I don't know how to relate to uh, nebulous energy, but I know how to relate to you. And so it makes sense that we use images that, that look like us and that feel like us and that talk like us and that struggle like we do. But the danger of doing that is if we aren't careful before we know it, we have ended up with a God who hates the same things we hate, who loves the same things we love, who holds the same grudges we hold, who judges the same people we judge, and who privileges us because, of course, we deserve it. And that actually makes our experience of God smaller, not larger. So let me ask you again, what was the image of God you grew up with? And does it still work for you or has it changed over time? Some of the images that people shared online almost made me want to cry. They were not images of grace and love. They were images of a God who was a tyrant, who was looking for sin, who was demanding punishment or payment. Some of the images were of a transactional God. You have to be good to earn God's love. More than one of the stories shared was of being told that you were basically born condemned to hell unless you repented and became pure through Christ. One friend, said, uh, one friend said when she was young, God was definitely an old man with a white beard from my 1970s children's Bible who was disappointed and trying to be tolerant. I'd be willing to bet that the Sunday school teachers in those churches and the pastors in those churches did not intend for those to be the guiding images for the children who grew up in those churches. But there are a lot of churches full of kids who are growing up still with that kind of an image of God. Some people left the church because if that's who God is, that's not a God they want any part of, and I can't really say I blame them. Others were able to grow beyond that and discover the richness of God's grace and love. Several people identified with God as someone they experienced in church. One person said her image of God was the pastor who scooped her up in his arms every Sunday and told her how much God loved her. Another friend said that when she was in junior high, her best friend whispered that the pastor who's... Um, I'll mention the name just because some of you might know it, Dr. Cynthia Campbell, who is a former moderator of our church. Um, when she was saying the benediction, her friend whispered to her that, that Dr. Campbell looked like God. And she said, I understood at that point God to be a Gandalf-like figure with a booming Charlton Heston voice. I'm grateful for that moment that rattled my imagination and set my pondering of God on fire at a relatively early age. Some of the most powerful stories were from those who faced trauma in their childhood, and they identified with God that we find in the story of Hagar. Hagar was the, the mistress of Abraham, the mother of Ishmael. Uh, Sarah got jealous of her and kicked her out of the camp for her and Ishmael to just die in the wilderness, but God saw, and God heard, and God came. One of the beautiful images of God shared was uh, from another friend who said her image of God was really an experience of crawling up into God's lap, who, as she said, would 
wrap her in his arms and hold her close, and we would just talk about things. A whole variety of images of God that people had when they were a child. But no matter what the image was or who was sharing the story, the one thing they all had in common was a sense of evolution. Their understanding of God as a child was, as Paul said, seen in a mirror dimly. For most of them, as their worlds grew more complicated, their understanding of God grew and changed as well. No longer did it make sense to believe in a God of love who would pause the laws of nature to heal one person and yet allow wars to rage and thousands of people to die needlessly, needlessly who just wanted to live in peace. No longer did it make sense to believe in a God who kept an eagle eye out for sin and demanded restitution while preaching unconditional love and acceptance. For myself, when I was a child, I believed without question in a God who loved and hated like we all do, a God who punished and a God who offered mercy and a God who answered prayers, although I didn't understand why God answered some and not others. Today, my understanding of God is very different because that old image of God just doesn't work for me anymore. It doesn't work in the world of my adulthood because things aren't black and white and what faith looks like is more complicated. In fact, I look back at some of the sermons that I used to preach early in my career and I actually could not preach them today because my understanding of God has changed that much. I see another pastor up here nodding her head and it's like she knows what I'm talking about. Susan Andrews, she's a, another former moderator of our denomination, um, also posted her answer on, on my post. And she said that when she was three, sitting in worship every week, her image of God was her preacher daddy's voice. And she emphasized that was a good thing. As a young adult, she imagined the holy as vibrant, hot energy and color. In her old age, her favorite image of God is a strong mother cradling her child in her lap. But none of these, she says begins to touch the mystery. That's the key. No matter how we conceive of God, whether as an old man with a white beard and a white robe sitting on a throne or as energy that flows through us, none of it begins to touch the mystery we call God. Because like it or not, we still see in a mirror dimly. So if all of our images of God are incomplete, it's okay to have multiple images of God. One of mine is a soft blanket wrapping myself and the whole world in God's healing love. But I also love the image of God as a crusader, fighting for those who have been pushed down and diminished. I love the image of God as a friend who will just sit with me and talk with me or prod me when I need to be prodded. But I also love the image of God as this energy of love that surrounds us, where God's love is more than the love of an individual person, but takes all of that together and works for good. God isn't a person at all but something more. 
So I embrace both personal images of God and those more nebulous images of God. It's okay to have more than one image. And sometimes that's helpful because it reminds us, if we have more than one image, that not to worship one image of God and say, this is it and nothing else. And if you don't believe in that same image of God that I do, well, you must be a heretic. No. We can have many images of God. For me, different images will rise to the top depending on what's going on around me. They, they all help me see aspects of how God is at work in the world. And they speak to me in specific needs that I might have at that moment. But I know all of my images are incomplete. And so I don't worship any one of them. I do think it's important to test our images. Because... There's a lot of people who grew up and are still growing up with that image of a vengeful God who is angry and judgmental and very focused on sin. But you know, the overwhelming image of God in Scripture is a God who forgives and a God who shows mercy and a God who hears the cries of the poor and the oppressed, who feeds the hungry, who lifts up the broken brokenhearted, who became one of us and lived for us and died for us and rose for us without ever asking anything of us. So test your images of God. If they don't have an underlying core of, of God's love and God's grace, it may be time to say, I've outgrown that image and to find one that works better. It may be that you have inherited somebody else's image of God that is very small. Or it may be that you have made God into your own image. Test those images. And if they don't reflect that overarching image of God in Scripture of love and grace and mercy and care, then maybe you've outgrown those old images. So don't put God in a box. Not even the box you learned in Sunday school. Because if God can be put in a box, it's not God. God will eventually break out of any box that you try to put God into. So rather embrace the vastness of who God is. Embrace the mystery of who God is. Because we are trying to speak about something, someone who is beyond us. And all of our language is going to fall short. So embrace that mystery and know that God is more than whatever the best is you can imagine. And then let go of those earlier images that are not life-giving. Let go of those that put people down. Let go of those that are full of judgment and hate and vengeance. Find something more life-giving for you. God may be forever. God may be unchanging. But it doesn't mean our images of God have to be unchanging. In fact, they shouldn't be. You are not the same person today that you were when you were a child. And I hope your understanding of God has grown as you have. And I hope you come closer to touching that mystery of God. Madeline Langle said... I do not think that I will ever reach a stage when I will say, this is what I believe, finished. What I believe is alive, 
and open to growth. Now I realize there will be some who will listen to my sermon who will say, well then we can all just believe whatever we want about God. Well, let's be honest, we all do that anyway. Find that core that we see in Jesus. Find that core in your image and then grow with it. Because you're not going to be finished growing. If you are, then what are you afraid of? What fear is stopping you from looking at a larger image of God? So I leave you to think more about this question. What was your image of God when you were a child? How and why has it changed? Amen.